Chapter 9. When I got to the house, Menzian was fussing like a mother hen. A, no, a young noblewoman's transport had overturned in the road. One of her bearers had a broken arm, and though the lady herself was not injured, she was distressed and shaken. Menzian sent me to comfort the young woman while Menzian herself prepared to set the servant's broken arm. You be nice now, Menzian instructed. No frightening her with your sudden ways. She's a real lady, and she's had a tough time. Of course I'll be nice, I answered, stung. You don't need to remind me about the courtesy do at guest. Annoyed, I stomped off. Outside the door to the great room, the one where my father and I did our lessons, I took a moment to compose myself. Coming into the room with a scowl on my face would hardly be the way to comfort a guest in distress. Good evening to you, mistress, I said as I entered. The young woman was sitting at the window, but her eyes were focused downward at her hands clasped tightly in her lap. She lifted her head at the sound of my voice, and I caught my breath. She was the loveliest woman I had ever seen, no more than a few years older than I was. I had a swift impression of delicate features, gorgeous and elaborate clothes. I bowed low in welcome, and it was only as I did this that I realized I was wearing my old tunic and pants. No wonder Menzian had warned me not to frighten her, I thought. Our guest would probably think I was a boy. I'm sorry for your troubles, I said in what I hoped was a quiet and soothing voice, resisting the impulse to smooth out my well-worn garments. I hope you will find peace in our home. My father will be here in a moment. In the meantime, how may I see to your comfort? The young woman cleared her throat. My servant, she said in a light musical voice. He is being attended to as we speak, I replied. I gave her what I hoped was a reassuring smile. You must not worry. Nobody sets bones better than Menzian. She's getting on in years. She'd admit to this herself, but she's still strong. She'll have your servant's arm set right and bandaged in no time. Just you wait and see. The young woman's face became pale as if I as if the, just the thought of what I might take it might take to set an arm was more than she could bear to contemplate. She had to, she had the finest skin that I had ever seen. In her bright silks, she reminded me of some exotic bird that would be painted on a piece of porcelain. May I bring you some tea, I asked, or something else that you might like? My name is Hua Mulan, by the way, I added. Hua Mulan, she echoed, a faint frown appearing between her brows. Oh, but I thought, she broke off, a blush spreading across her cheeks, so that now she looked like a rosebud that was just about to open. I felt a corresponding heat in my cheeks, but doubted I resembled a flower in any way. I'm sorry my clothes are so deceiving, I said, deciding an explanation might help. I've been practicing my archery, and I can't wear a dress, you know, because of the sleeves. My voice trailed off as I watched our, eyes, our guest's eyes widen. It could have been in surprise, but it looked an awful lot like alarm. Shut up, Mulan, I told myself. I felt like a clumsy oaf before this elegant stranger. You're not helping things at all. When will you learn that when in doubt, it's better to hold your tongue? Fortunately, for all concerned, I was saved by the sound of the approaching voices and footsteps. That will be my father, I said quickly. Hua hui. I'm sure he'll want to make sure you have everything you need. The young woman rose gracefully to her feet just as my father came into the room. I'm sorry for your misfortune, my father said as he bowed in greeting. Please make use of our humble home. Thank you for your kindness, the young woman answered, executing a bow of her own. 
How graceful she is, I thought, like a willow bending in the breeze. Your servant is resting, my father continued, as he gestured for the young woman to resume her seat. He will be sore for many days, but he will mend well. No one sets bones better than Menzian. So your daughter has told me, she replied. I felt my cheeks flush once more at the slight hesitation before the word daughter. I will go and change, father, if I may, I said. Of course, Mulan, my father answered without turning his head. All his attention was for the young noblewoman. If you will excuse me, mistress, I went on. She did not speak, but inclined her head. My distress has made me forget my manners. I heard her tell my father as I made my way across the room. I apologize. I have not introduced myself. I am Chen Zhaoxing. I tripped over the threshold and turned to stare. Mulan, my father said, are you all right? Is something wrong? Nothing but my own clumsiness, I answered. Please forgive me. Then I turned and fled. Our visitor had the same name that I had given my mother so long ago, Morning Star. Chapter 10. As quickly as it had arrived, the newfound closeness between my father and me departed, for Zhao Xing's presence changed everything in our house. My father and I no longer had our calligraphy lessons together. He paid me no additional visits while I would practice shooting, target shooting. Instead, his time was given over to caring for Zhao Xing's comfort. Even Menzian seemed to think this was the proper thing to do. Poor thing, she remarked one morning about a week after Zhao Xing's arrival. Her servant was healing just as he should, but mending a broken arm takes time. My father has had sent a message to Zhao Xing's family explaining what had transpired. In it, he told them that their daughter would be well cared for in our home for as long as she and her family wished her to stay. I doubt they'll be in a hurry to have her back. Minzian went on with a click of her tongue when we were sitting in the kitchen working on a pile of mending. I was happy to have something to keep my hands busy, even if the task did keep me indoors. Why do you say that? I asked curiously in spite of myself. I could not decide how I felt about Zazing. It wasn't quite accurate to say that I disliked her, but I did feel very keenly when I was in her company all the ways that we are dif we were different, and the contrast made me uncomfortable. Zazing had the finest dresses I had ever seen. Her hair was always elaborately styled. Her slippers were covered with embroidery stitches so tiny that just looking at them made my fingers ache. Beside her, I felt like a simple country girl, which I suppose is precisely what I was. Has your father not told you, said Minzian. She went on before I could tell her what we both already knew she knew. My father had told me nothing. Zhao Ziying is a young widow. Minzian made a sympathetic sound, just barely married, poor thing, when her husband's horse threw him and he broke his neck before she could conceive a child. Zhao Xing's popo, her mother-in-law, does not love her, and a daughter-in-law who can produce no son is no use to anyone. So her husband's family was sending her back to her parents when the accident happened right outside our door. That is terrible, I agreed. To be passed around like a piece of fruit on a plate? One last spoiled piece that nobody wanted. No wonder Zhaoxing always seemed so sad in spite of her luxurious clothes. No wonder she seemed to start at even the slightest sound, something I had found both perplexing and irritating about her. No doubt Zhaoxing feared any new noise with a fresh disaster headed her way. Your father has an eye on her. You mark my words, Minzian said. What? I asked, my attention snapping back to Minzian. What did you just say? 
I'm saying you should keep your own eyes open, that's all, said Mendian. Your father has been alone a long time, and a lovely young woman like that? You can tell he feels for her. You can see it in his face. I don't want to talk about this, I said. Minzian put down the shirt she'd been mending and regarded me steadily for several moments. She extended her hands. I placed mine into them, and she gripped me tightly. I know you don't, my little one, but you'll thank me for these words later. This much I have learned in my long life. It's better to be prepared. Then she let me go and made her favorite chewing motion. Now go on outdoors before the sun goes down. Being in the fresh air will do you good. Don't stay out too long, though. It's turning cold. For once, I went somewhere other than the plum tree, choosing instead to walk through one of the great strand stands of bamboo that grew near our home. A bamboo grove is an eerie place because it always seems that the long and supple stalks speak to one another. Even when I can barely feel the breeze upon my face, the bamboo quivers. Its papery leaves hiss and rustle. Usually, I find this lack of peace unsettling. That night, it was precisely what I needed. Could Menzian be right? I wondered. Does my father, who so mourned my mother that he forbade anyone to speak her name aloud, now intend to replace her with a new wife, with Zhao Xing? Am I, who have been motherless all my life, about to acquire a stepmother? I paused before a thick stalk of bamboo and placed my hand upon it. It was smooth and cool to the touch, and suddenly, almost before my mind knew what my body intended, I leapt upward, wrapping both hands around the stalk. My weight carried us back down to the earth. The leaves hissed as if in protest. The stalk strained against my hands, longing to spring free, to be upright once more. I sat my feet and held on tight. I must learn to be like this bamboo, I thought. I must learn to be stronger than I looked, so strong that I could bear a weight greater than any I had previously imagined upon my back, upon my shoulders, and in my heart. I must learn to bend beneath my burden like the bamboo does. Unlike the brittle branches of the plum tree, a stalk of bamboo, bamboo will not snap. The only way to break it is with the blade of a knife. That's how strong, how flexible it is. And I must learn to be just like it, I thought once more. I must learn to bend, not break. I let go of my hold, stepping back quickly as the stalk of bamboo whipped upright and then seesawed from side to side before settling into its own rhythm once more. I do not want my father to marry Zhao Xing, I thought. If he did, surely any chance he, he and I might have to truly come to know and understand each other would be lost. My father would have a new life, begin a new family, and it seemed all too likely there would be little room in it for me. There you are, Mulan, came my father's voice. I took a moment to compose myself before turning to face him, for I did not want my father to read the conflict in my face, the worry and unhappiness in my eyes. I went to the plum tree, my father continued, when I did not reply. An awkward silence fell. It must be settled between them then, I thought. I had come to know my father's silence as well. There was the silence that spoke of his displeasure, the absent-minded silence, the silence that told me he was so deep in thought that he hadn't even noticed me at all. But never before had any of my father's silences told me he was uncertain, unsure of what to do next. I listened to the great dry whisper as the wind moved through the leaves of the bamboo. What is it, Baba? I asked quietly. My father sighed adding his breath to the air that stirred the great green stalks around us. You are absolutely right, Mulan. I did come to tell you something, and now that I'm here, I don't know how to do it.
Then let me guess, I said, never feeling more grateful to Menzian than I did at that moment. Thanks to her, I would not be taken by surprise. You are going to marry Zhao Xing. That's right, my father said, surprise and relief, both plain in his face. How did you know? I didn't, I confessed. It was Menzian. She was the one who said she could see how things would go. But you can see it does make sense, my father said, as if trying to convince us both. To be sent back to her family like that. I can see why any man would wish to marry Zhao Xing, I answered honestly, just as I can see why she would wish to be your wife. It will be a fine thing for her to become a member of the Hua family. The only thing I could not see was where I would fit in, but this information I kept to myself. You will not mind too much then? My father asked, and here at last he did not. He did take me by surprise. He's trying to break this news as gently as he can, I thought. It was a far cry from our first meeting. No, father, I said. I will not mind too much. Then you have made my happiness complete, Mulan. My father gave me a great surprise then, moving toward me to lay a hand upon my shoulder. It was the closest we had ever come to an embrace. Come, he said, let us return. I know Zhao Xing is waiting anxiously. My father dropped his arm, but stayed beside me all the way back to the house. And so before the month was out, my life changed yet again. I turned 14, one year shy of being an adult myself, and Zhao Xing became my stepmother. We tried to get along, the two of us. Honestly, we did. I often thought things might have been easier if we hadn't been trying quite so hard to like each other. But nothing Zhao Xing and I did quite close the gap between us. Nothing could erase how very different we were. It was as if we were speaking the same language, but the words meant something different in her mouth than they did in mine. Try as we both might, we simply could not understand each other. We've got to do something about your clothes, Mulan, Zhao Xing said, after she and my father had been married for several months. And it's high time you began to wear your hair up. You'll be married yourself in just another year. I sincerely hope not, I said before I could help myself. Zhao Xing turned from where she had been fussing with the contents of my wardrobe, surprise clear on her face. Oh, but I thought, your friend, the one to whom you write, the one General Huyen took into his household, you mean Lai Po? I inquired. I had had several letters from my friend by now. Life in Chang'an was so full that Lai Po claimed he worked from morning till night, but I could tell that he was enjoying himself. Serving General Huyen was a great honor. Lately, though, Lai Po had written that there were disturbing rumors of a new threat from the Huns. It seemed that my father had been right after all. The son of the previous leader was rousing his people, claiming he had had a vision that his destiny was to avenge his father's death by leading an army to destroy China. It was said he meant to attack soon, despite the fact that winter was fast approaching. The emperor has called his advisors together, Lai Po had written, trying to decide on a course of action to determine which of the whispers racing through the city are true and which are false. Not even the Huns have tried... Not even the Huns had yet tried to attack when winter snows were this close. But it was said that the Huns' leader, leader's vision had portrayed him and his warriors lifting their swords in victory over a field of snow stained red with Chinese blood. The peace my father and General Yuan had spent so many years trying to achieve could end at any time. My Po's mother hates me, I said simply, pulling my attention back to the conversation with my stepmother. I think I would rather die an old maid than have her for a mother-in-law. I watched as Zhao Xing digested this information. Oh, she said after a moment, that is very unfortunate. 
Oh, I don't know, I answered with a sigh. I don't particularly want to get married, to tell you the truth. I'd rather stay at home. Do you really mean that? Zhao Zing asked, a tone in her voice I couldn't quite read. You would rather stay here than have a household of your own to run someday? I think I do mean it, I answered slowly. I think I would rather stay in my father's house if I cannot do what my parents did and marry for love. I had not intended to speak of this, for such thoughts had only begun to take shape in my mind. But now that I had said the words, I recognized them for the truth. I would rather stay alone than marry as Zhao Xing once had. But of course, I will do as my father wishes, I said. The decision of my marriage would be his, not mine. But if we could convince him, Zhao Xing said, abandoning my clothing to move to my side, together, you and I, if you stayed, if you and I could learn to be friends, I would so like to have a true friend, Mulan, someone who could be with me when she blushed and broke off. You're going to have a baby, aren't you? I said. Zhao Xing nodded. I only became certain a few days ago. I haven't even told your father yet. It's my plan to do so after dinner tonight. She reached out and took my hands. The color in her face was bright and her dark eyes were shining. She is truly happy, I thought. You love him, don't you? I asked suddenly. That's the real reason you married him. Of course I wanted to marry your father, Zhao Zing said. Any woman would be honored to become a member of the family of Hua. That's not what I meant, I said. You love my father, Zhao Zing. Don't deny it. To my astonishment, tears filled my stepmother's eyes. I suppose you think that's ridiculous, don't you? She said "That's that I'm not worthy, not after the way that he felt about your mother. Of course I don't think that, I said at once, and watched her tears spill down her cheeks. And I know less about my mother than I do about you. I've never even heard her name. Zhao Zing let go of my hands to wipe her cheeks with an embroidered handkerchief. So it's true. Your father forbade anyone from speaking your mother's name aloud. Yes, it's true, I answered quietly. From the day of her death to this one, no one has spoken my mother's name, not even Minzian, who nursed her when she was a child. Your father must have loved her very much, Zhao Zing said. I believe he did, I answered honestly. But I also think, I paused and took a breath, I think that he loves you now. Do you really think so? Zhao Zing asked. And I heard the yearning in her voice, the hope. Why? I tell myself, if he does one minute, and then I tell myself I'm being foolish the next. Your father and I have been married only a few months. We barely know each other. But that's the way love is supposed to happen, isn't it? I asked. Out of nothing, growing over time. I took a moment to consider why I thought my assessment of my father's feelings, my father's feelings was correct. My father's face grows peaceful when he looks at you, I finally continued. When he speaks, his voice sounds more gentle than it did before. I've never had anyone love me, not in the way we're talking about. But if someone were to offer me these gifts, I would think they were given out of love. Zhao Xing was silent for many moments, gazing at me with dark and thoughtful eyes. I wasn't sure that I would fit. I would like you at first, she confided. You seem so different, so strong. I thought you would despise me for not being like you. No, I said. That's not the way things are at all. In fact, you've got it turned around. I thought you'd dislike me because we seem so unlike. I'm not pretty, and I don't know the first thing about dressing well. Outside things are easy to learn, my stepmother said at once. And as for not being pretty, she cocked her head to one side. Then to my surprise, she reached out to lay a gentle palm against my cheek. I think you have more beauty than you know.
The right eyes will see your strength for the beauty that it is. I lifted my hands. I lifted one of my hands to cover hers. Stop it, I said, or you'll make me cry. So we're agreed then, Zhao Zing asked. She gave my cheek a pinch that made both of us smile. I'll tell your father about the baby tonight, and I'll say that you confided in me, that you asked me to tell your father you have no wish to be married, to leave home. Instead, you'd rather remain here with us. I nodded to show that I agreed with this plan. You can help with the children, ride and shoot that enormous bow as often as you want. My stepmother went on, describing my future life. You can give the children lessons, even the girls, when the time comes. It won't be quite like having a household of your own, Mulan, but it would not be a bad life. No, I answered, not a bad life. I wouldn't have the respect a well-married woman would enjoy, and the children I would watch grow up would not be my own, but I would be free to be myself, loved for who I was. Wasn't that what both Lipo and I had wanted? Right before I fell out of the plum tree at my father's feet, right before my father's sudden appearance had changed all our lives, I gave my mother a name once, I said, right after my seventh birthday when Lipo first offered to teach me to read and write. Lipo said I should give her a name I choose myself since no one could tell me what her true one was. So I chose the most beautiful name I could imagine, a name that I could whisper before I fell asleep at night and when I woke up first thing in the morning, a name that could belong to any hour of the day or night that would always bring me joy and comfort. What did you choose? My stepmother asked. Your name, Zhao Xing, I answered softly. I will be content to stay here if you will be content to have me. With all of my heart, Zhao Xing replied, I will learn to be both mother and friend if you will let me. Someday, I hope we may both speak the name of the woman who gave birth to you. I hope so too, I said. And for the first time since I had heard the sound of horses beneath the plum tree, I felt like I was home. Chapter 11. Less than a week later, messengers sent by the emperor rode through the countryside. The rumors of a Hun attack were true. Our ancient enemy was massing in great number. In response, the Son of Heaven was assembling a force to resolve the matter once and for all, a force so strong no invading army would be able to stand against it, a force that would free China from the threat of the Huns for all time. To achieve this, the emperor had commanded that every household in China send a man to fight. Recruits would meet in a great valley near the mountain pass through which it believed the Huns would attack. The muster would occur in one week's time. I do not think I will ever forget the look on Zhao Xing's face when the messenger arrived at our door. Never did I respect or love her more. I could see Zhao Xing's body quiver with the effort it took not to not cling to my father, to keep her fear and despair to herself. Not once did she beg my father to stay with her and the unborn child she carried. Not once did she plead with him to not allow history to repeat itself. Instead, she, Min Xian, and I worked together to make sure my father would have everything he needed when he rode away to war. We sewed a fur lining inside his cloak, for he was heading north and the weather would be cold. We made sure the leather of his armor was waterproof and supple. My father cared for his weapons and his horse himself, and all of us waited for special word from the emperor calling my father to return to his duties as a general. Surely, after all Hua Hui had done to defend China, the Son of Heaven would request my father's experience once more. But the days came and went, and no message came from the emperor. 
and no message from the emperor arrived. And though he tried to hide his pain at this, it seemed to me that with every day that passed, my father grew older before my eyes, until finally the night before he had to depart arrived. By then we all knew the truth. There would be no special summons. When my father went to fight, it would be as a com common soldier. This increased the chance that he would not come back alive. We ate a quiet dinner that night before my father's departure. Zhao Xing's eyes were red, signaling she had been crying in private, but she sat at my father's side and served him his dinner with her customary grace. From across the table, I watched the two of them together. I saw the way my father angled his body toward her as he, as he sat, a gesture I think he made without knowing it. I saw the way their fingers met as she passed him dishes, lingering, lingered for a few moments before moving on to the next task. They are showing their love for each other without words, I realized suddenly, and though I was sure they would do so later in the privacy of their own apartments, it seemed they were also saying goodbye. As I watched them demonstrate their love, I felt a resolution harden in my heart. It was one that had been taken shape for there for many days, ever since word of the muster had come, but that I had allowed myself to clearly acknowledge only that night. I cannot let him go, I thought. My father had as quick and agile a mind as ever, a mind that could be used, that could have been used against the Huns. But his body was growing old. The wound that had sent him home in the first place had been slow to heal. There was every reason to suppose my father would not survive another injury. Against all odds, he had found his happiness. My father had a new young wife who would give him a child, perhaps even a son. If I had been a son, I could have gone to fight in my father's place. My father could have remained home, and our family could have could still have kept its honor. But I was not a boy. I was a girl. A girl who could ride a horse without, with or without a saddle. A girl who could shoot an arrow from a bow made for a tall, strong man and still hit her target. A girl who never, who had never wanted what other girls want. A girl unlike any other girl in China. I must not let my father go to fight, I thought. I will not. I would not watch my father right away and then stay behind to comfort my stepmother as she cried herself to sleep at night. I loved them both too much, and I had waited too long for my father to come home in the first place to stand in the door of our home now and watch him right away to die. And so I would do the only thing I could to protect both my father's life and our family's honor. I would go to fight in his place. I would prove myself to be my father's child, even if I was a daughter. I waited until the house was quiet and then waited a little longer. I had no way to make certain of the other was, that the others were asleep. If I had had to make a guess, it would have been that none of us would get much sleep that night. But finally, the walls themselves seemed to fall into a fitful doze as if acknowledging that the future was set and there was nothing to be changed by keeping watch through the night. I threw back my covers and slipped out of bed, dressed quickly in my oldest clothes, the ones that made me look most like a boy, my ears strained against the silence, alert for even the slightest sound. But the house stayed peaceful all around me. Whispering a prayer of thanks, I gathered the few belongings I had decided to take and tied them into my winter cloak. It was not as warm as my father's because it had no fur lining, but it would do. It would have to do. I took my bow and quiver full of arrows and slung them across my shoulder. I tiptoed to the kitchen, wrapped some food in a knapsack, and retrieved the water skin. I would not risk filling it here, but would do so from the stream. Then I let myself out of the house and walked quickly to the stables. I did not look back. I feared that if I did, I would lose my nerve in spite of all my resolve. It was the 
it was fortunate that my father's great stallion and I were well acquainted with each other. Otherwise, my plan would have been over even before it started. I fed the horse a bit of apple and he let me saddle him without protest. I was just leading him up from the stall when the door to the stable slid open. I stopped, dead in my tracks. I thought so, Minzian said as she poked her head around the door. Minzian, I breathed, be quiet, come in and close the door. What's the point in doing that when you'll only open it right back up again, she asked. But she did not lower her but she did lower her voice. You didn't think I was going to let you go without saying goodbye, did you? You knew I would do this, I asked, suddenly feeling the hot sting of tears behind my eyes. Of course I did, little one, my nurse said. She crossed to where I stood, my hand on the horse's neck, and she placed her hand on my arm. I saw you watching them at dinner, and I saw into your heart, my Mulan. I should stop you. No, you shouldn't, I said. It's the only way. You know it too, Minzian. I don't know that, she answered crossly, but I knew Minzian too well to be deceived. The longer she sounded cross, the longer she could postpone crying. But even these old eyes can see that it may be the best way. Minzian went on. Now turn around. You can't go off with all that hair. It'll give you away for sure. If I cut it and tie it and then tie it back, you'll at least stand a chance of looking like other peasant boys. Thank you, Minzian, I said, for I had worried about my hair. I turned my head and felt her strong fingers grasp my braid. A moment later, there was a tug and a rasping sound as Minzian moved the knife blade back and forth. And then my head felt strange and light. Minzian tucked the thick braid of hair into her sash. Then she quickly rebraided what was left on my head, tying the end with a leather thong. That's better, she said. Now take this. She turned me back around and thrust a bundle into my hands. I packed food, I protested. Minzian gave a grunt. Take more. It's a two-day journey to the muster place, and you've never ridden as hard as you must to make it there in time. If you faint from hunger as soon as you arrive, you'll be no use to anyone. Only girls faint from hunger, I said, and I'm no longer a girl, remember? Minzian gave a snort. Hold your tongue, unless you're spoken to, she said. Go quickly. Don't stop to make friends on the road. It will be full of many such as you going to do their duty. She stepped back. Get along with you now. And remember that no matter what you show on the outside, inside you have a tiger's heart. I will, I promise. Please tell my father and Sao Sing that I love them. Minzian nodded. I'll hardly need to do that, she said. They already know it. And, if they'll, f- and they'll feel it all the more strongly once you are gone. Hurry now, before I change my mind and wake them up instead. Chapter 12. I arrived at the assembly place for the Sons of Heaven's great army after two days of hard riding. Along the way, I had plenty of opportunities to be grateful for Menzian's advice. Two long days in the saddle is not the same as an afternoon's ride for pleasure. By the time I reached the place of muster, my whole body was aching and sore, but I had done it, becoming one of the steady stream of men and boys traveling to do their duty. I moved as swiftly as I could, and I spoke to as few people as possible. The longer I traveled, the colder it became, for I was moving almost due north. More than once, I wished for my father's fur-lined cloak. For as long as I live, I will never forget my first sight of the great encampment and the army that the Son of Heaven had called together to defend China. 
It was a large valley at the mouth of the mountain passed through, which the emperor's spies had said the Huns planned to attack. As I approached, it seemed to me that the land itself had come alive, for it moved with men and horses. The air above it was filled with the smoke of cooking fires. A long line of recruits clogged the road that was the only access. As we waited, word of what was happening began to move down the line. Each new recruit was being asked a series of questions before he was given his assignment and permitted to enter the valley. The army would be divided into three large companies, each one led by one of the princes. As for me, I hope to fight with Prince Jian, said the man beside him, beside me. He was not quite my father's age, though his with his face lined from the sun, it was difficult to tell. You'd do better to fight for the middle son, Prince Gong. He's the better fighter, or so they say, commented another. That may be, the first man answered, but I've heard that General Huen is commanding Prince Jian's forces. He's an old campaigner. I fought with him before, and the young prince is the emperor's favorite, or so they say. That must make things happy at home, a voice behind me remarked. The older man beside me snorted. I know nothing of court intrigues, he replied, but I do know this. Many things can happen in the heat of battle. After that, there was no more talking, as each of us stayed busy with their own thoughts. Soon enough, I came to the head of the line, where the road ended and the encampment began to... began. Where the road ended and the encampment began, the land widened out. There, a group of experienced soldiers were interviewing the recruits and handing out assignments. Those of us on horseback now dismounted. dismounted. I reached to thread my fingers through the horse's mane, and he turned his head, blowing softly into my face through his large nostrils, as if to offer reassurance. You, boy, what is your name? The official barked. I had given this a lot of thought and had decided to stick to the truth as much as possible. I could hardly say my name was Hua Mulan, for there wasn't a boy on earth who would name who was named Orchid, but I thought that I might risk my family name. Hua Gongshi, I answered as boldly as I could. Huh, the soldier said. And I bit the inside of my cheek to hold back a smile. He sounded exactly like my father. You are young to have such a fine horse, the soldier said. All of a sudden, he thrust his face right into mine, unless, of course, you stole it. I'm not a thief, I said, feeling my cheeks warm with the insult. My heart began to pound in fear and anger combined, but even then my mind was racing faster. Think, Mulan, I told myself. If I could think and act quickly enough, perhaps I could turn the situation to my advantage. The horse was a gift, I said, from General Yuan, Yuan Huaji himself. Go and ask him if you don't believe me. The soldier made a sound of disgust, but he did step back. I had managed to sow a seed of doubt. You, accept, you expect me to disturb a general on your behalf? The soldier inquired, his tone sarcastic. Perhaps I should just turn you over to his aid right here and now. He'll soon get to the bottom of this. Perhaps you should, I said at once. You, the soldier said, pointing to a boy even younger than I who stood nearby. Go and get General Yuan's aid and bring him back here. I can't remember his name, but the one who's always with him. You know, the one, his name. I said firmly, is Lipo. I can't believe it. Lipo said sometime later, the fact that I had not stolen my the fact that I had not stolen my remarkable horse had been established once and for all. 
I was now assigned to Prince Jian's forces, specifically to an elite archer court. I had Lai Po to thank for both these things, just as I had him to thank for my first hot meal since leaving home. Which part, I asked now, any part, Lai Po said as he handed me a cup of steaming tea. Though our conversation was impassioned, we were both careful to keep our voices low. When I realized it was you, I thought my heart would stop. You shouldn't be here. This is not a game, Mulan. What on earth were you thinking? Lai Po frowned. Before I could answer these questions, he posed another. What did you say you were calling yourself? Hua Gongxi, I answered, taking the tea from him just in time. At my reply, Lai Po dropped his head down into his hands, though not before I thought I saw his lips begin to curve into a reluctant smile. You told them your name was Bow and Arrow? It was better choice than Wood Orchid, don't you think, I said. Lai Po sighed. I'm happy to see you. Don't misunderstand me, he said, lifting his head. But my stepmother is going to have a baby, I said, before he could go on. The emperor sent no word to my father. Instead, we received the same summons as everyone else, that every household in China must send a man to fight. Every household must send one man, Lai Po said. That's precisely my point. Tell me something, Lai Po, I said. How long do you think my father would have lasted as a foot soldier? What do you think it would do to him to ride away to war, leaving yet another pregnant wife behind? Lai Po's face looked pinched as if he hated to speak his arguments out loud. Your father is not the only older man to answer the emperor's call. You're absolutely right, I answered. He's not. But I saw an opportunity to spare him, and I took it. It is done. Hua Gongxi not, is not the only lad to answer the summons either. And I have skills many other boys do not. You ought to know that. You saw to it yourself. I'll have to tell Jenner Yuen. You realize that, don't you? Lai Po said. He'll recognize the bow on your back, not to mention the horse. You must do what you think is best, I replied. That's what I've done. And all your fine arguments will not make me sorry for it. I sat back and we eyed each other for a moment. You look well, Lai Po. Stop trying to flatter me, he said. It won't get you anywhere, not for the rest of the day, anyhow. I'm going to stay mad at you at least for at least that long. Without warning, he leaned forward and pulled me into his arms. If you die, I'm never going to forgive you or myself, but I am glad to see you, Mulan. Gongxi, I mumbled against his chest as I wrapped my own arms around him and held on tight. I'm surprised the general trusts you if you can't remember even the simplest details. Lipo gave a strangled laugh, and we released each other. It was just in time, for in the next moment, the flap of the tent whipped back. General Yuan stood in the opening. I heard we had an interesting new recruit, he said. He moved forward, letting the tent fall, flap fall behind him. I got to my feet, prepared to bow. Stop that, the general said. He caught me to him, much as Lipo had, and then held me at arm's length while he studied me. I ought to take you out behind the tents and thrash you, he said. I managed to sh a shaky laugh. You'll have to get in line behind Lipo. You should listen to her, him, Lipo said, making an exasperated sound as he corrected himself. I may not agree with everything your new recruit has to say, but he does make several interesting points. My stepmother is going to have a child, I told General Yuan. The emperor sent no word for my father, no call to return to his previous duties. It seems he is not to be forgiven, even now, when the wisdom of his words has been proved beyond a doubt. General Yuan nodded, his lips forming a thin line as if he were holding something bitter in his mouth. 
My father and stepmother, they love each other, I said softly, and suddenly my voice caught at the back of my throat. You know what that is like to lose someone you love. You watched your own son die. Once I saw the way my father and stepmother felt about each other, I could not let him respond to the emperor's summons. I could not. So I took the horse and came in his place. I gave a watery laugh. And the funny thing is, I didn't even like her at first. Mulan, General Yuan said gently, Mulan. Then just as swiftly as the tears had come, they vanished. I was through with crying. I steadied my feet, put my hands on my hips, lifted my chin, just as I had on a day that seemed a very long time ago, the day when I had knelt soaking wet in the stream and seen two men on horseback for the very first time. No, I said, I am no longer Mulan. I stopped being Mulan two days ago. Take me up behind the tents and thrash me if you must, but you won't make me return home. I'm staying whether you like it or not. She told them her name was Hua Gongshi. The Lai Po spoke up. So I assigned her to the prince's new corps of archers. She shoots almost as well as I do. I am well aware of that, General Yuan said. Did I not give her my own son's bow? He passed a hand across his face. And for the first time, I saw how tired he was. Well, he said, he moved farther into the tent and sat down. Lai Po poured him a cup of tea. My heart may wish you safe at home, Mulan, but... The heart is not always granted what it desires. This much all three of us know. Given the circumstances, I think Lipo's choices make Lipo's choice makes good sense. Now I will drink my tea with no further discussion. We all drank in silence for several moments. The prince has asked to meet you, General Yuan finally said. To meet me? I echoed, astonished. Why? He meets as many of his new recruits as he can, but he pays particular attention to his archers. He is a fine bowman himself, and then there was the somewhat unusual manner of your arrival. Did you really think a boy leading a war horse was going to go unnoticed? Apparently, I didn't think at all, I said. Lipo gave a snort. I could have told you that much. I told the one who questioned me that the horse was a gift from you, I said to General Huynh. We will let the story stand, said the general, and nodded. I have told the prince that you are a distant relation who once did my son a service and that the bow you carry and the horse you ride were your rewards. I think he wonders at it a little, but he hardly has the time to ask questions. There are many import, many more important things to think about and do. What of the Huns, I inquired. All in good time, General Huynh replied. He got to his feet. First, I must take you to meet Prince Jin. After that, I will take you to be with the rest of the archers. Lai Po is their captain. Did he tell you that? No, I said. He was full of other information, but he left that out. General Huen gave a quick smile. I have decided it would be wise for my young relative to share Lai Po's tent, he said, so that he has someone to guide him during his first experience of war. Let us hope that it will also be the last, I said. We shall all hope that, said, General, said the general. Now come, I will take you to Prince Jin.